My name is Andrea. I am a Covenant member here at The Well. I also serve on Connections team, and I am a part of the Red River CG. Today I will be reading 1 Peter chapter 2, starting verse 13, uh, as well as chapter 3, ending in verse 7. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Like, why did I invite my friend to church today? <laughs> all right. <laughs> it is all right. You are in for a treat, y'all. Uh, hey, scriptures are always beautiful when consumed correctly. Uh, it's a meal that's worth eating. At times, you just have to know how to eat it. All right. Uh, you know how salt brings out flavor in foods, uh, but when you oversalt the food, it ruins everything. 
Uh, too many of us, we don't understand how to properly handle scripture, and so we oversalt the food, and then we blame the food that it wasn't good rather than blame the chef who ill-prepared it. Okay? Let's learn how to cook together today, all right? All right, look at Peter, after laying all this beautiful identity, y'all, was like, okay, in light of the gospel truths, let me lay some hard facts on y'all, all right? This grown folk talk is what Peter is saying here. You know, uh, in black families, I'm sure they do this in other families too, but in black families, uh, you would separate the grown folk from the chillin'. Ain't that right, <laughs> right? Like, adults made sure that the kids knew that there was a strong delineation between the grown folk and the kids, all right? And Peter's like, yo, this grown folk talk. Like, we at, the, we at the dinner table now, okay? And so what is he saying, and what could this passage be talking about, and how do we even apply it in our context? Well, there's several beautiful things here. I want to chop it up together. But Peter's main premise, I'll give that for us at the start, and we'll break this all down. His main premise is that the gospel is more important than anything, even your own comfort. Okay, the gospel, it's more important than anything, even your own comfort. This scripture is less a call to ethical standards, though this also exists in the scriptures, and it's actually more a call in what to do with the gospel. The importance of everything that we discussed in the prior weeks, essentially, if we are children or priests or temples, etc., if all that is true, then that means something for the world around us. Our suffering, it's not just a reminder for us of the brokenness that is in this world so that we long for another one, though this is true. And it's also not just used for our sanctification or our being made more like Christ, though this is true as well. James, the brother of Jesus, and the Apostle Paul, they both proclaim these realities that suffering is a tool in the hands of the master craftsman to make a beautiful masterpiece out of you. However, Peter's idea of suffering is a little bit different, though. Peter says that our suffering is not just a vehicle for our sanctification, but it is a vestibule for the world's salvation. It is used that others might come to know Christ. The way we suffer, it says something about Jesus, and if we suffer well, it will actually change society from the inside out while leading others to believe in Jesus in the process. Y'all hear that? It's important. If we suffer well, it is actually a witness to society about the beauty of the kingdom that we belong to, and it will actually lead others to Jesus in the process. Let's dive in. We got a ton of background work today, so if you see me over there, like, tell me to get back over here, okay? So a lot of background work. Let's get theological together uh, in here today. Let's keep our thinking hats on for a long time, all right? Notice in verses 13, verse 18, and verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1, we see the same phrase. It says, be subject to, or that word is submit to, husbands, slaves, governors, etc. Don't over-season the food. All right? Y'all see this word, and immediately we're like, oh, but no, 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 it means something in this context. What Peter is doing is he's writing about every human institution. You see it there in verse 13? And this was important for the context, and he's writing so that you would understand what to do with these institutions for the Lord's sake. Y'all see that there? Can I get three amens? Okay. So this has less to do with us and more to do with the Lord's name. This is for his sake. Y'all heard that? 
okay? And so this form of suffering has less to do with us and it has more to do with the name of the Lord. Hence, our witnessing and our suffering is not just for our own sanctification, but it's for the world around us as well. Now, the household and the codes of those households was actually a major focus in that society. By household code, what I mean by that is how you respond to governors, how you respond as spouses, how parents respond to their children. They wrote about this all the time. And so non-believers would be watching how these Christians would act because this is a new religion that's being introduced. And so they're watching how they respond to these human institutions and the way they responded to them would either be a witness to or a stain to the gospel. Everyone, literally, Plato, Aristotle, a bunch of other dudes that I never heard of because I was a terrible student and did not go to class during this part of world history, but there's a lot of other people y'all probably know about, okay? They all had opinions about household codes because they thought it was important for running a smooth society. And so Peter addresses each of the major household codes. And these moral philosophers, they were right. It actually was important for the running of society. The same is true today. Like so often, the world has an understanding of the things that actually matter. The difference is, is that the Christian ethic and the cultural ethic often clash pretty painfully. There's a big difference between the two. So the same is true here. We both, or the scriptures and Peter and the world, they both saw the importance of these institutions, but they looked at the world very, very differently. So Peter, what he does, he does this fascinating thing where he actually gives credence to the culture, and he says, look, these things are important, so I'm going to address them, but he gently begins to reverse and subvert the moral code of that day, which saw women as lesser, slaves as nothing, and emperors as as gods, okay? So let's put ourselves in ancient Greece here and understand the context. What it did is it undermined the value of some individuals and it overvalued other people and counted them as God. Now, don't divorce yourself from the text too much today because even though we're doing a lot of background, there's still implication for our lives as well. We do the same thing today, right? And in case you think I'm tripping, celebrities are worshiped and poor people are disregarded like in your own heart, right? Like if you don't believe me, if Elon Musk, right, or Kendall Jenner, or Michelle Obama, or Harry Styles, or name your person that you like, all right, if they walked into this church, a lot of us would be like, hey, Tori, can you give like five extra minutes for that individual, all right? And you would wanna hear from them. If a poor beggar entered our congregation, though, a lot of us would be like, hey, can you get out of our church? Right? Now, we wouldn't say that verbally because that's being a bad Christian and we care about what people think about us. But will we not say that in our heart? Right? Am, I, am I pushing too much already? We good? Okay. Right? So listen, it may look a little bit different today, but it's the same thing, y'all. Like, don't divorce yourself from this. You do the same thing, okay? Famous people are idolized. Others are disregarded. So Peter is telling the church there's a different, a more important moral code and ethics. Slaves aren't nothing, and emperors aren't gods. They're just humans. So notice in verse 17, Peter is asking us to respond in every area of our life. The gospel should impact every one of our social circles. We honor everyone. That's literally our social circle. Anybody we're 
around. We honor them. We love each other. That's our ecclesial or our Christian, our church circle. Okay, we fear God. That's our spiritual circle. We honor the emperor. That's our political circle. Peter is saying all of the truth that I just told you about in chapters one and two, it should be impacting every area of your life. So we honor everyone, regardless of their status, despite what the moral philosophers back in that day said. We honor the emperor as well, but we do not worship him because he is no one but flesh like us. In other words, the gospel changes how we interact with everybody. Okay, now back to the cultural context here, because truly all, what what Peter does is masterful, and if you can't see the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this, I would contend with you that you're viewing this in the wrong lens. A human couldn't have wrote with this much mastery and skillfulness, and yet this honoring of Christ, yet this honor, it's, it's too complex. It's really beautiful, okay? So let's start with one of the social institutions of the day, the government. Peter says, listen, honor them is what he says, even if you are being wronged for it. Why? Well, in verse 15, he says, this is the will of God. Now, why is this the will of God? He says, so that foolish people would be put to shame over the long run because of your response. And so we actually see this theme carry out throughout this whole thing. Listen, we do this thing, we're willing to suffer even at our own expense. Why? Because we're doing it for the sake of others. So that's the main theme that Peter gets. In fact, if you write down one sentence, I would encourage you to write write down this sentence on the screen, that we as Christians are willing to suffer for the sake of others, or maybe said in another way, we are willing to suffer for the salvation of others. That's Peter's emphasis here. Now, listen, y'all, let's not get it twisted, okay? Do y'all remember who's writing this letter? What's his name? Peter, right? Somebody said Paul. I heard you, all right? (laughs) Peter, right? Look, this ain't some random guy, right? This is the last guy who would write this, y'all. Maybe the second to last. Jesus did invite a zealot onto his team, a.k.a. a murderer, all right? But besides that, like, for Peter to say these things means that he has been truly transformed by the gospel. Let me ask a personal question. Has your heart been so transformed by the gospel that you're saying things that make people go, what? This guy, all right? This gal, okay, like, like this guy, Peter, who was slicing off the Roman soldiers' ears is now saying to submit to them? What is happening here, right? How did Peter get here? Well, this is 30 years after the ascension of Jesus, and so Peter has been moving in the right direction for the past three decades with God. And so you may be in here today, and you might go, I ain't that dude, right? Like, try Jesus, but don't try me, because I fight. Okay? And look, Peter, he's been at the teacher's school. He's been at his master's feet. He's been studying under Jesus for 30 years, and he is a changed man. Now, why is Peter saying this, and, and, and what is he doing in the midst of this? Well, I believe that Peter is saying this because if everything was always awesome in your life, and you got everything that you ever wanted, and then you told people about Jesus, then they may be tempted to come to Jesus, not because he's good, but because he gives good things. All right, that's important for us, right? But if even in your suffering, church, if even then you cling to the gospel, you're showing that there's something way more important than this world. 
You're showing that there's another kingdom that you're holding on to, and this becomes a witness to the world of the glory of the gospel. Suffering becomes a great witness, gospel family. It becomes a great witness to the beauty of Jesus. So Peter says, let's be willing to suffer for other people's salvation. That's the premise of the entire thing that we just read. Like Peter really believes about and cares about people's souls. So Peter goes on though, not just the way we treat government is a witness, but Peter then addresses the other institutions, slaves and wives. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to look throughout it because we're gonna interweave in and out between slave and wife here. They're not all all on the screen, but these are two positions that are very similar in the household code, and Peter does this really masterful thing, y'all. Now, let's get a context. Slavery in that culture was not like the sin of slavery that we're familiar with in America, but nonetheless, let's not water it down. It wasn't peachy either. This is not the will of God per se for people to be underneath somebody else besides him as the good master to us. And so what would happen is slaves were insignificant in that culture. In fact, Aristotle, who we kind of uphold to be this great mind, he's actually a fool. He said that you could do no evil to slaves because they didn't matter. That's a literal verbiage from him. They, you cannot do evil to them because they do not matter. Peter rejects this lie and he does something really beautiful in the midst of this. Now slaves in household codes were never addressed in any ancient moral philosopher and women were very rarely addressed and if they were, it was almost always in the negative sense. But here, Peter doesn't even address the master which gives a little bit of implication here. And then he gives the slave and the woman who was seen as much lesser in that society great dignity by speaking about them, by speaking to them, and by delivering Christ to them as well. In fact, he gives the slaves and the wives 14 verses. He gives the husband one. It's really important there, okay? Essentially, he's saying he knows what the greatest impacts of advancing the kingdom will be. It is actually those who society sees as less. And in doing that, he's giving them honor and dignity. Like, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God should get at least one thank you, God, for that sentence, right? Do you hear what the scriptures are saying here? Women, right? Do you hear this? Where even today you are seen as lesser at times, the scripture says, yeah, that just straight up ain't true, and the people who were seen as nobodies were actually given this dignity. Look at what God is doing through Peter here, okay? Dr. Karen Jobis, who she is a theologian and a professor and a biblical commentator, she says this, while some modern interpreters consider the New Testament household codes to be hopelessly chauvinistic, they fail to read the codes against subverted cultural expectations by elevating the slave and the wife with unparalleled dignity. You see, many, they reject the Bible because they don't understand the cultural context, and then they won't do the hard work of trying to figure out what the Holy Spirit of God is saying and the beauty that's wrapped up within this. Some things that may seem strange to us, we have to fight to understand, but if we don't fight to understand, listen to me, the well church family, if you do not fight to understand the things that are hard in Scripture, then the enemy will always come into your ear and say, did God really say and if you listen to the enemy, you will turn your heart to eat the fruit and reject the words of God which bring life. And you'll bring death to your soul, which, I mean, can I speak a word here? How much time I got? Listen, some of us are out here, we're listening to these Instagram theologians, and you have no idea what type of authority they actually hold. 
okay? Like, be careful who you listen to on podcasts and on YouTube, y'all. Like, listen, I've personally, yeah, amen, right? I've personally, I've been asked to do things that I have no business doing, and I've been asked to be an expert on something and to speak on something I don't know anything about. Now, I don't do it because that's shady. A lot of people do it because there's money in it. So be careful who you are listening to. They often do not love your soul. They're using their soul for their own flesh. Y'all hear me? Okay, they're not trying to build the church. They're trying to build their platforms, okay? Like, like you see people in here, in this church, who would literally die for you, family. There are people here who are willing to lay down their lives for you, and then you go and you listen to someone else who is calling you to your spiritual death for their earthly gain. Don't do that, y'all. Like, people recklessly handle scripture. Don't let them wreck your soul with something that sounds good but doesn't create life in the process. Y'all digging? That ain't take that long. Good, okay. I'm about to spiritually cuss some people out in here, all right? Shoot. It's because I love y'all, for real, sincerely, okay? And so we be listening to fools with non-biblical authority sometimes. Don't do that. And even my words, don't take them just because you know me. Be a Berean, Acts 17, 11, go back to Scripture, see if what I'm saying is true, and you will flourish because of it, y'all. All right, back on, back on, okay? Shoot, help me hold the ghost. All right. That was a sermon for some of y'all, by the way, okay? All right, we're almost done seasoning this, okay? And then we'll put it in the oven, and it only takes like three to four minutes to bake, okay? There's more beauty, there's more truth here. So slaves and wives, listen to some of these things I'm about to list out, okay? They were supposed to worship their master or their husband's gods. And so Christianity subverts this, literally making these people dangerous and rebels, worthy of being sentenced of crimes. Hey, Peter says, listen, the gospel is more important. You may be charged by believing in this God, but it is worth it. But don't be charged unnecessarily. Make sure your conduct is even winsome, even while you are being abused for it. Once again, be willing to suffer for the sake of others. We actually see this with slaves in verse 24, Christ being our ultimate example, and with wives in verse 1. So this isn't written about how to have a great Christian marriage. Don't read 1 Peter 3 like that, okay? This is written to believing wives who have non-believing husbands. Look at how Peter is changing society from the inside out, though. In that culture, wives couldn't make friends that weren't their husband's friends. Peter is telling them to fellowship with other Christians. Foreigners would not be allowed into the Greek society unless they held the household codes to perfection, according to the moral philosophers. But Peter addresses the slave first. That means it would have been rejected there. Aristotle, once again, says no injustice can happen to the slave. Peter says Christ's suffering, who became a slave, was unjust. So Aristotle's statement is not true. So he's subverting the culture. In fact, Peter addressing the wife and the slave is a role normally held only for the man of the household, meaning Peter is exercising moral authority even over the husband right? This is unprecedented in Greek thought, aka the scriptures always have precedent over society, 
always, okay? And yet, Peter calls for this glad submission in the process and hopes to win them to the gospel. Karen Jobus, once again, she calls this a masterful move because Peter both upholds and subverts the social order, leaving the unbelievers kind of confused here because, see, in some ways, what Peter is saying would actually help them, and in some ways, it undermines them, and in all ways, it makes them think, what is he saying here? And it makes them think about that middle section where we saw Christ very explicitly laid out. Peter is saying, hey, let's be masterful, let's be skillful in how we present and deliver the gospel because it is what is most important. And so even though these Asian believers were suffering, Peter says, hey, keep going because you are able to win people in the midst of your suffering and winning people is more important. It's more important than your own comfort. So much so that Jesus would be our perfect example on this. More on him in a second, okay? Now, a quick aside, because I know how some of our brain works. We're like, well, what about abuse, okay? Look, Peter ain't doing that, y'all. In fact, in verse seven, he directly says abuse is bad. He denies it very, very uh, aggressively. And so we can't enter into the text and try to throw things that the text isn't throwing out at us. And he isn't calling for submission that would lead us to sin. This is where you have to allow the scripture to interpret the scripture. This is the same guy, Peter, who in Acts chapter 5, we see him tell the government that he's not going to submit to them because they're telling him to do something unbiblical. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 28, they say, the government, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so the scripture always takes precedent over the culture. If the human government orders us to do something that is against God's word, we rebel. So this isn't a call for blind submission or submission into sin, but it is a call to be willing to suffer even badly so that the gospel might be heard and seen. The gospel is more important than anything. This is Peter's point. Karen Jobus, once again, she says, when facing the enormity of the first century Greco-Roman establishment, none of the New Testament writers holds out much hope for changing the ways of the world. Instead, they exhort the transformation of Christ's people, making the holy nation a colony in this fallen world. Because, as Christ himself has demonstrated, this is the way to break the world's ways and perhaps one day bring unbelievers to praise and glorify God themselves. And I would add, this is what ultimately changes things, not when laws change, but when hearts change. Now, once again, so you can't splice some whack YouTube clip together or something, okay? I'm not saying that the law is not valuable. It is, all right? I'm just saying that to directly change hearts is better because one lasts temporarily and one lasts eternally, like forever. The human soul lasts forever. And that's why Peter is so uh, 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 intentional about this. The word do good in verse 14, it mimics Luke 6, verse 35, which is another word saying when you receive uh, curses and you deliver blessings instead, that's what actually transforms societies. Do y'all get what Peter's going at here then? Uh, Miroslav Volf, a Croatian theologian, he says this, 
He says the call to follow the crucified Messiah was, in the long run, much more effective in changing the unjust political, economic, and familial structures than direct exhortations to revolutionize them would have ever been. Y'all get this sentence? It's an important sentence, okay? For an allegiance to the crucified Messiah, indeed, worship of a crucified God is an eminently political act that subverts a politics of dominion at its very core. In other words, it isn't to say you should not speak against injustices, especially where you can, you should. Peter is speaking against them subtly, and he can't even speak against them, yet he's speaking against them nonetheless. However, Peter, only being allotted so many words in this text, says there's something that's more important and it's more effective, and that is the gospel message. Once again, the important sentence that I want you to hear, be willing to suffer for the sake of others. Be willing to suffer even for the salvation of others. And if you can find ways to proclaim the gospel, this changes everything. Now, a really quick application in the midst of all of that stuff for us, okay? A lot of us, y'all, let me bring it to our context. We are very loud on social media, but we're very quiet in gospel proclamation, yet we say we love justice. Mm. Okay, I want to tell you, family, do not turn down the volume on your proclaiming justice. This is actually a really godly thing. Just make sure the base of justice does not overpower the treble of the gospel message. Okay? One changes things temporarily. One changes things temporarily and eternally. One is more important, and if you only have room for one, make sure it's the one that does double damage to Satan's pathetic kingdom, okay? Now, listen, when you read the rest of the text in the lens that I just realized, then I think that you're realizing like, oh, Peter's doing something really beautiful here, right? Like he's writing to Christians about how you deal with non-Christians, particularly in a non-Christian society, and that makes the text make a whole lot of sense. For example, the women were told to be careful how they dressed. Why? Because it was extremely suspect for them to be going places without their husbands in that culture anyway. So Peter's saying, look, don't draw extra attention to yourself. Let your adorning be internal so that even when people try to mock or ridicule, there may be a stronger message that is going out, yet go out anyway, is what Peter is saying. And so he's not saying something like physical attraction isn't important, okay? He's just saying, don't worry about that. Primarily, the the heart matters more. Be careful about how the world views you, which there's still implications for us today. We can begin to apply that into our context, right? Like, for example, a lot of us are trying to find the 10 out of 10 hottie with a body, but they got a 3 out of 10 spiritual walk. (laughs) Right? I mean, can we keep it real? And look, you got the 7 out of 10 body, but the 10 out of 10 soul that's right in front of you talking about, well, I just ain't that attracted to her. You worried about the wrong thing, player. That's another sermon, bro. All right, here we go. 
there's still application, okay, okay? Uh, but this is all tied to the household code. And Peter's saying, look, I want to use this to be a witness to the world. Now, there's 100 caveats to give, okay? And I've already given some of them, like abuse. He's not saying anything about that. Abuse is wicked and ungodly, and you should get out of it if you're in it. Dating lost people is not cool. He's not saying that. Right? He's not like, hey, go ahead and marry if they're unbelievers. That's not the context, okay? So don't be trying to misapply it. Submission is not a bad thing. That's not what Peter is saying here. It's actually a beautiful thing when done rightly. All he's saying is be willing to suffer for the sake of others because the gospel is more important than your comfort. That's what we should take away from this. And we get this, family. We all do this, right? Like, each of us are willing to suffer if it means benefit, are we not? Like, think about how you handle your workouts or your budget or your diets. We put our bodies through physical suffering because of the personal reward that comes with it. Peter is saying, if you're willing to suffer personally for temporal gain, you should also be willing to suffer temporarily for other spiritual gain. This is how we apply this. Does this make sense, right? Okay, let's get the food out the oven, all right? We see this no more clearly than in the person of Jesus. This is who Peter is pointing us to. And now think about how this applies to you through the lens of Christ. First of all, Jesus Christ is the ultimate husband, y'all. Is he not? Listen, he was the one who spiritually suffered because he was willing to wed an unfaithful, unchristian spouse, you and me, right? Like we are the weaker vessel. Okay, let's go back to that text. In fact, throw uh, verse seven on the screen there, okay? In that context, weaker vessel just meant physically and socially weaker. The women had less privilege and less status in that society. Peter says, okay, okay. She may be physically weaker and socially not as powerful. So she is a spiritual equal with you. And Peter is saying the only thing that matters is spiritual, meaning she is just as important as the husband. Do you see what he's doing there? Okay. So culturally, she may seem weaker. That's okay. But if you treat her like she actually is weaker, then you will not even be heard by God, husbands. Dang, somebody was too hype. (laughs) Y'all go home and talk about that, all right? We got some elders to counsel you if you want, okay? <laughs> oh, I love that. That was great. Like, look, this is, how, this is how serious God takes leadership, right? Like, this is how much, listen, don't miss this. This is how much God advocates for those who are lesser in any society. God is always looking out for the person in the lesser position, and he's always trying to redignify and rebring honor to them, So she may be culturally weaker, but you will be spiritually impoverished if you mistreat her. Well, y'all, Jesus never mistreated his bride, did he? You see, he saw us as equal, even though we actually were weaker. You see, the woman appears weaker, but she's actually in the same position. She is co-heirs with the husband. We as the bride, we actually are weaker, and we are not co-heirs with Jesus, yet he treats us like this anyway, which is how we know that his prayers will be heard by God because he was a faithful husband who never disrespected his wife. Man, hallelujah, right? That means that you can trust when God is interceding for you that the Father actually hears Jesus because he's the ultimate husband. 
Jesus is the greater governor who will reign perfectly and never mistreat his position. He will execute judgment and justice rightly, meaning that we can trust him even in the process that we will one day be free and be under a perfect rule, y'all. And then look at what he does here. Please don't miss this, y'all. Jesus takes the lowliest position, the slave, the servant, okay? Like, Like the women didn't have it great in that culture, but the slave had it awful. And guess who Jesus most identifies with? The lowliest one, the servant, right? Jesus became a servant willing to suffer for your salvation. That's why Peter tells us to do the same. Peter says, be willing to suffer for other people's souls. No one does this better than Jesus. You see, in some ways, as Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, it looked like the biggest moment of injustice because his body was being mistreated, his position was being tarnished, his freedoms were being lost, and at the moment where it seemed like submission was the stupidest decision in life, it became your salvation. At that moment is where your soul was delivered because Jesus entrusted himself to God and he was willing to suffer for others' sake so that we can now do the same. Family, this is a beautiful call. He is our example because he's literally how you got saved. He's why you're in here able to worship today. In fact, that word example, that word there uh, in chapter two was uh, referring to something they, they would teach children how to write the alphabet. So they had these patterns of letters and the children would trace over the pattern to perfection until they were able to write the alphabet like the adult was. And so the closest word we have is like a copy, but model or pattern or copy or example, honestly, they're all too weak in this context. He says Jesus was our example and we are to mimic that in that way. So he's not just the example then, but he's the paradigm by which the Christians write the large letter of the gospel in their lives that others might see it and fall in love with Jesus, y'all. This is the truth of the gospel. He became the slave so that you might be free. He is our model. Now Peter says you be willing to do this for others as well. And so you might unjustly lose your job or be ridiculed at your job. Don't be foolish, okay? Don't intentionally invite this. But when it comes, don't be ashamed either because you have a greater God who is more concerned with the person's soul than he is even your comfort. And he knows that if you are willing to suffer for his sake, Yours will be the kingdom and your rewards will be way greater than your little paycheck that you're worried about right now. This is what he's saying over and over and over again. Parent, be willing to suffer for the raising up of your child. Listen, you who are in these relationships that aren't the healthiest, be willing to suffer where they are able to uh, see God in the midst of this. How do you do this, okay? Real quick, look what Peter says. He says, when you are mindful of God, Okay, so when you think about just yourself and your own comfort, everything I'm saying seems asinine, y'all. But when you think about God, you see how he loves turning the kingdom upside down. In fact, Jesus trusted God, it says in verse 23. And so we follow this example because of our salvation and because of God's sovereign control, we trust that he is over everything. So we just trust God or we fix our eyes on Jesus, which is the only thing we really preach at this church anyway. It's the same message over and over and over again. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you fix it on yourself, it doesn't make any sense. When you put your eyes on Jesus, it makes sense, y'all. So listen, this ain't some out-of-date book, family. 
This is living waters for our souls. Jesus said, pick up your cross and die. Uh, he meant it. But if you die for his sake, I mean, you resurrect to life eternal. And what you get, family of God, is beautiful. I'll end with one more quote from my girl, Karen Jobis, okay? I act like we, we, we peeps, all right? I don't even know what she looks like, but she's a great <laughs> writer. She's a great writer, okay? She says this. She says, how ironic is it that the word, or is it that words that the first century slaves and wives would have read as affirming and empowering are criticized by some today as enslaving and oppressive? When read within its original historical setting, these verses become a call to social transformation within the Christian community, allowing it to become an alternate society based on God's redemptive plan. This is why what Peter is saying is so important. Maybe to sum up really easily, what Peter is saying is, hey, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's getting it from the main master, Jesus. Amen? I hope you love the scriptures today. I love you guys. Let's pray. Yeah. Oh, man, Jesus, thank you. I thank you for this passage. Uh, It's hard. We don't live in that context. We don't live in that culture. But I really do pray that you have increased our affection for scripture today. God, I pray that those who do not know you, that they would see how serious we take this gospel message. Friend, I want you to know, if you do not know Jesus, we really mean this. Like, I desire, maybe I should say it like that, to suffer if it means your salvation, if it means you coming to Jesus. And we're willing to do this as a church body. We would even say, test it. (laughs) Come into the family. Let us love you through the mess. See how much Jesus loves you that he's willing to suffer, that you might become a child of God. And God, I pray for those of us who have accepted this as the reality. Would we take your words, I pray very simply, not complex today. I pray one, you would help us to love scripture and something that we read as strange or oppressive or whatever, that we would actually realize, holy cow, the Holy Spirit is dope. And then I pray two, that you would allow us to look at your example and to trust you and to follow you. You are better than life. And I pray that everybody else knows that as well. Praise in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.